everyone. Welcome to Risk Roundup. Irrespective of nuclear, biological, chemical, electronic, digital or nano, as the pace of science and technology development is increasing exponentially, the continuing dissemination of dual-use ideas, information, innovation, inventions, materials and equipment across nations and its cyberspace, geospace and space ecosystem brings each one of us complex security challenges. The complex security risk emerging from cyberspace, geospace and space to each individuals and entities across nations, its government industries, organizations and academia are compounded by the reality that the decision makers involved in technology transformation generally do not focus on fundamental issues such as security. As a result, if we are to build a sustainable culture of security, it necessitates not only making scientists, researchers, regulators, and decision makers aware about dual use of existing and emerging technologies, be it cyber weapons or electronic weapons or autonomous weapons, bioweapons, nanoweapons, and so on, but educating everyone, that means individuals and entities across NGIOA about any idea or innovation that could end up becoming dual use dilemma. Education and awareness plays a key role. And since the technology security architecture remains a source of great vulnerability, it is important that we begin to discuss the dual use technology dilemma and national security. To discuss dual-use technology further, I'm honored to welcome Professor Dr. Ashok Vashishta to Risk Roundup. Professor Dr. Vashishta is the Executive Director and Chair of Institution Review Board at NGCU based in USA. He is also a Professor of Professional Security Studies, Chair Professor of Nanotechnology at the Gitu Institute of Electronic Engineering and Nanotechnologies, Academy of Science, Moldova, and also serves as Strategic Advisor to many government and non-government organizations. He has authored over 250 research publications, edited and authored seven books of na on nanotechnology, cybersecurity, and uh, sensing detection platforms, and has presented many keynote and invited lectures worldwide. Welcome, Professor Vashishta. I'm honored to have you on Risk Roundup. I'm glad to be here and uh, glad to address this topic, as you mentioned, of great concern uh, to all of us. Yes, absolutely. It is a great concern to each and every one of us. And uh, for the benefit of our global viewers and listeners, let's begin by discussing what exactly is dual use technology and how has the approach to dual use technology evolved over the years? And as we begin to evaluate dual use technology, is it only the deliberate misuse of dual use technology that is the focus or should be the focus or the accidents and other unintended outcomes also should be considered and needs to be considered? Actually, all of them, and I'm going to start with the definition of dual use technology. And very briefly, uh, I'll take a sort of historical perspectives of the dual use uh, technology, because this is something which is not new. This has been there for a very long period of time. So starting definition, uh, dual use uh, goods and products, as you mentioned, and technologies normally used for civilian purposes, but which may also be used for military application. So that's the government definition of dual use. Also used in politics uh, and diplomacy, dual use in technology that can be used for both peaceful and military application. And here's a definition from National Science Advisory Board for biosecurity, because that's where one of the primary concern is. It's the research that based on current understanding can be reasonably anticipated to provide knowledge, products, or technologies that could be directly misapplied by others to pose a threat to public health, agriculture, plants, animals, and environment or material. So it has all of those uh, aspects which you mentioned in your introductory remark. Just to take you back into the uh, history of, uh, of dual use, uh, I was reading a quote from Bhagavad Gita, and I'm sure uh, you are familiar, that was uh, written a long time ago. And there is a quote 
which I'm going to uh, mention. Uh, this is by Swami Prabhavananda, and uh, it was quoted by Christopher Ishiguro, uh, stating uh, the song of God, uh, where the God has said, "I am become death, the shatterer of the world." So here is God, but He says that I am become death in the sense that uh, that even God. Could perhaps, uh, in certain role, uh, use uh, you know those types of powers where, while on one hand is lifesaver, but also can cause the uh, death. I think there is some background noise anyway. I'm not sure if you can hear that. But from the historical perspective, like I said, you know that dating back to a couple of thousand years ago. But nonetheless, from the historical perspective. Uh, during World War One, uh, through 1914 to 1918, there were lots of chemicals which were developed. Actually, the idea at that point was to cause maximum casualty, but later on they were intended for good use. And what we are discussing today is actually the opposite, uh, which is the something which is used for good purpose but could be used for adverse effects of application. I, I can hear some background. I'm not sure if you can hear I, I'm not able. I, I don't hear any sound. Oh, you don't hear? Okay. No, I don't hear any sound. Okay. But that, that's a great example uh, that you gave in a great uh, brief introduction that you provided because as we begin to evaluate this dual-use technology, the question that comes to mind is when technology non-proliferation and national security are not only conceptually distinct, but the la lack of global systems to promote them are also either largely separate or absent. How do we evaluate the dual use technology dilemma and its associated national security risk? Because we are not looking at just you know one kind of technology. We are looking at many, many different kinds of technology across you know industries that could, you know fall under the dual use uh, technology dilemma which which has both the good use as well as the bad use so uh, or military use and civilian use so there are there are so many complex variables and if we don't have a broad global framework or a broad you know uh, system uh, that can address each and uh, every dual use technology or across industries then it's very difficult to evaluate the, the in the impact that it would have on the humanity or, you know, any kind of risk that we would face. Absolutely. Uh, as a matter of fact, in my publication, I have listed dual-use technology as hybrid and unconventional warfare, like we discussed for the electromagnetic warfare uh, types of application. Although even a thought process has a dual-use, uh, but some of the most common uh, applications which are being considered are biotechnology, uh, cyber warfare, nuclear proliferation, and unmanned aerial vehicles. And I'll give you specific examples. And of course, because of the fact this is a field uh, which has lots of negative uh, implications, as you know. So I can only cite some examples before going into too much detail. So. Uh, let's start with the biology, uh, which, as I mentioned, has lots of uh, implications and views. The first one, which I'm sure you have addressed in your uh, other communication, is synthetic biology. Uh, there are a DIY uh, bio uh, organization, uh, do-it-yourself types of organization, and these are the people, those who could create different types of biological molecules, biological uh, chemical compounds, and combination thereof. There is an iGEM uh, organization comes out of, I think, Harvard uh, University or MIT, I forget. Uh, but this is actually a consortium of high school high schoolers. Those who, based on the computer, they can create different biological molecules, not essentially knowing what they can do. They can create those. And then you have uh, these devices by which you could uh, take these biological compounds and make them 
into live biological molecules. So here it is, something which you're generating on computer, but you could actually bring them into life. And I'll give you a few more examples as we go further. Uh, there are synthetic biology engineering research centers, and they do lots of research on uh, these types of compounds. Uh, the other implication of biology is in biomimicking. Biomimicking is used for lots of applications, lots of good application. But at the same time, just imagine if you have a molecule uh, and you are trying to recreate a uh, virus, uh, which, which can perhaps produce lots of virus. So uh, it, it, again, as mentioned, it has lots of adverse implications. And I know that those adverse implications are being uh, try. Uh, then uh, we have technologies that deliver beneficial to uh, drugs um, uh, and to human body, but these are the same biological compounds which could be weaponized. Uh, anthrax is a classical example. Uh, this was used for aerosolized medicine a long time ago, but as we know that in the uh, letters, those anthrax were delivered, and there were many other applications. So that's another example. And these methodologies are published in magazines, meaning that by that they are commonly available for public consumption. Uh, that makes it a little bit more tricky. Uh, then, as you mentioned, they have unintended consequences, uh, such as, uh, and one of the examples which is most cited in literature is GMO mousepox, and this was in uh, Vienna, and this was used to kill mouse, and this was published in Journal of Virology, but this is one of the GMO which is in literature is cited as one step away from ultimate bioweapon because of the fact, because of its lethality. Uh, then there are dangerous agents which could be released accidentally. Uh, again, all this sensitive research is published, accessible over the internet. So people, those who use for good application, uh, is the same technology is available over the internet, meaning thereby people can use for adverse types of applications as well. Then there are some so-called novel pathogens. <clears throat> and I'll give you a couple of examples. One project I think we discussed perhaps in our last uh, conversation, this is called Minimum Genome Project. And what, the, what that simply, uh, I'm sure you know, that what that simply means is that you can create a biological molecule and the only uh, application or purpose of that biological molecule is to survive and reproduce. So just imagine if you were to attach a virus which just continues to uh, live and reproduce. It does not have multiple functions like a human body has, such as thinking, uh, critical analysis, and all those. All it has to do is live and reproduce. And I know there are lots of people, those who are working on this minimum genome project. Another project which I'm aware of, but I'll simply give you an example, uh, is called neuropharmacology. And what that does is these are some of the chemicals, uh, if introduced into the brain remotely, you could change the thought process or alter the thought process of a person. Just imagine that you introduce a biological compound into a human and remotely you're changing the thought process. All of these are implications of biology. Let me just stop here before I go into cyber and nuclear. So these are the threats. These are the asymmetric, uh, unconventional uh, threats, which only one, which is the biology uh, poses. So let me just stop here and see if you have any question before I go into cyber. Sure, no, absolutely. This is a, this is a great background that you gave in the biology part is a 
the bioweapons especially is a cause of great concern because today if you see uh, anybody could have a laboratory in their basement or garage that would cost less than you know $50,000 and uh, they can manufacture bioweapons uh, such as the viruses that you just talked about that attacks only either you know certain uh, specific uh, racial groups or uh, that could uh, create you know some kind of a pathogen that could uh, uh, wipe out the humanity so th these are causes of great concern because the equipment uh, that these uh, people that are able to work with uh, to engineer these kind of viruses and organisms is not very sophisticated and uh, all the knowledge that is necessary to create this kind of pathogen is available online. So the question is how do we manage the security risk of such easy to build laboratory that can produce bioweapons and in addition, you know, even the established laboratories that we have at uh, institutions or universities they they also don't have a very effective security they have a laid back biosecurity at these laboratories and that is a cause of concern because uh, any potential agent that can fall into the hands of uh, any uh, malicious parties who want to cause harm to any country or any uh, race and uh, this is a cause of great concern because how do we maintain security and we keep listening to all these examples that come our way that you know uh, they are missing certain vials that they are missing certain organisms and they don't have uh, they cannot uh, track all the uh, pathogens that they have in the laboratory so these are these are very serious concerns and I, I believe I read somewhere in, uh, in some journal that um, they were trying to uh, create some sort of uh, contraceptive alternative for pesticides and to, for controlling the mouse population and unexpectedly they produced a lethal mousepox virus and uh, so in this process it demonstrates how a newly highly virulent pathogen could be constructed accidentally so uh, now with crispr technology uh, the probability of accidental development of deadly pathogens increases many, many folds. So bioweapons and biosecurity um, challenges are a cause of great concern. Right. right. I, have, I, have I have a section, a section on uh, how to counter such a Let me see if I somehow could reduce this. Uh, uh, there is an uh, echo that I'm hearing in my mind. I, I'm not hearing echo. I'm I'm not sure. Uh, Let me just disconnect that. I'll put it on when I'm when you're talking so that I don't hear my own voice back. Okay. So yeah, that, that's a good question. I have a complete section on how to counter uh, such threats. Uh, some of these steps which one could possibly uh, take. Uh, but just like you mentioned about the uh, mousepox, that was in Vienna, uh, Austria. Uh, where there was a mouse population, and that's the one which uh, is now called one step away from an ultimate bioweapon. Uh, definitely, there are lots of laboratories, uh, those who have uh, these types of chemical and biological, uh, you know, their students are working on those research, uh, unless there is a some type of a um, oversight. Um, again, you know, being an academics, people would say, I need my academic freedom, but we have to have a balance in that section I'm going to address uh, how to counter uh, such threats. But the other point which you mentioned about, uh, for example, that's a device called DNA synthesizer. It costs only $250 and very readily one can buy from scientific suppliers. And this is the one which these little iGEM uh, high school students, uh, they compete and see who can create a, uh, just a uh, fancy combination of biological molecules. So as I mentioned, we also have the same technology. And since people like to publish, adversaries also have uh, access to the same technology. And that creates a great dilemma because obviously in academics, people would like to publish or have presentation, but at the same time, the same access is given to people, those who want to cause us harm. So there has to be some delicate balance 
and we'll talk about once we discuss how to counter these threats uh, because it's very difficult to define intentions uh, as can we work on how to use these for good application how do we define the intention of the person who may have bad intention and create uh, adverse types of uh, implications Yes, absolutely. And I think you made a very interesting point that everyone has access to the same technology, good people or bad people, you know, civilians or military. So uh, if we talk about these dual use technologies and security risks, the concern that we all have is who can cause harm today and who is capable of causing harm and what is the nature of harm that can result from the misuse of these dual use technologies. And that is very hard to identify or evaluate because how do we know sitting here that uh, people who are access, trying to access this technology or these equipments or these knowledge and information, whether they are actually trying to use it for good purpose or whether they're going to try to cause harm to other nations or you know other communities or other uh, industries. So that is the biggest question that how do we know who is going to cause the harm? That is one reason why I try to use some of the tools of so-called predictive intelligence. And what that means is simply by following our trends. So let's go into how do we counter these types of threats, and I'm going to then come back and talk about the cyber and nuclear and chemical. Uh, this can be countered by ecosystem of innovation, where we do risk assessment and management, both at the same time. Simultaneous to that, uh, I worked on consequence management, uh, which is mitigation and environmental uh, management. Uh, convergence of technology, no single technology can mitigate uh, this threat because this is just like electro electromagnetic warfare. This is a, a threat which is uh, persistent, which is around us, but at the same time, we have to detect because of the fact we have to detect intention. So we need to use convergence of technologies. We need to have enhanced situational awareness and it may be through the social media, maybe through the uh, technological uh, awareness. Uh, and of course, for that we need research and some of the topics which I have personally worked on and continue to work with my colleagues on standoff detection. Uh, how do we detect these things from a distance? And there is a concept which we had introduced called dialer beacon. And what that means is, that if there are new variants, because of the fact all these uh, new chemical and biological compounds uh, are new variants of these chemical and biological compositions, we need to be able to detect them from a distance. And this technology is called dialer beacon, uh, where simply by tuning electromagnetic uh, radiation, maybe optical or a different spectrum, we should be able to get a signature from a distance. Uh, the technology has to be simple, and that we call a sample in, answer out. You have a device, you uh, uh, illuminate electromagnetic radiation, and you should be able to see what it is that is being uh, created. Uh, Triaging pathogens, again, by using convergence of technology, we should be able to triage those pathogens made by, by forensics or by bioinformatics. Uh, <clears throat> bacterial and viral forensics, that is uh, critical, uh, such as the genomics, bioinformatics, uh, genome sequencing, genome sequencing, proteomics. These are all critical for detection of these types of viral, uh, bacterial and viral uh, uh, forensics. Uh, eradicate threat at the point of origin, once we detect, rather than its propagation, we should be able to eradicate where it started from. Uh, use of decision support tools. And this is something which I work on with my colleagues and myself. Uh, and these are tools for predictive intelligence, which perhaps to some extent answer the question that you have posed, how do we detect these threats? These are all uh, tools using uh, social networking, uh, knowing leading indicators, 
which describe the intent and also the course of action. Uh, DARPA has a tool uh, which they fund called Trust, tools for recognizing unconscious signals of trustworthiness. Who is telling us the truth? Who is not telling us the truth? It's very easy for a person who tells truth all the time. If he is telling, he or she is telling lie, it's very easy to detect. But a person who is trained right from the very beginning to give wrong information, how do we know that person is providing incorrect information? And that's where this tool comes into play called the trust, social, cultural, behavioral modeling. That also would help us understand uh, group decision theory, which is part of complexity science. Worldwide monitoring of swamps. These are multi-sense uh, people, those who have untoward types of intention and developing strategic and tactical level global view. All what I've listed is not easy, but nonetheless, all that is necessary to uh, counter or mitigate uh, this deal use threat which we face. And what we have discussed so far is biology, and of course, there are other aspects which also exist. So let me just pause here for a minute. Absolutely. No, I, I hear you on that. And all these uh, uh, different variables, different uh, processes and tools, uh, they are absolutely essential. But the uh, bottom line is that when something like synthetic biology, which creates biological structures with predictable properties and functions, either by re-engineering existing organisms or genomes, or assembling non-living biological components in uh, many unique, you know, ways. How can we govern that effectively? I mean, the trust and all that is uh, well and good, but there must be, we need to come up with a proper effective governance structure by which we can bring accountability to all the scientists who are trying to, uh, you know, create new uh, research and, you know, trying to come up with the new ideas and, you know, Everyone who is trying to, um, we, we do absolutely need to create the education and awareness, but at the same time, we need something like blockchain that can give us the tool that is necessary to bring accountability and transparency into who, which, who, where, you know, in the world, which scientists, uh, irrespective of whether in an institution or in their home, what kind of experiments they are trying to uh, have you know and what kind of uh, research they are trying to conduct so we do need we need to come up with a new unique tool that brings the accountability transparency and trust to the basic science uh, research and development absolutely absolutely so there has been a paradigm shift uh, in the way we think because as i mentioned in academics we always say well we need to have a balance in uh, we need to have lots of publication, but there has to be a balance in publication, uh, dissemination. There has to be promotion of social values. Uh, uh, how do we create uh, new opportunities which can address uh, some of these challenges uh, which we have mentioned? Uh, accountability in the laboratory. Um, you know, people have all types of uh, chemicals and biological compounds in the laboratory, are they all accounted for? Uh, graduate students, are they all vetted? Uh, Sometimes there is a fine line between being so-called political correct, correctness and the uh, security aspect. So where do we draw the line? That is also critical. Uh, People, those who go in lab, those who have access to all this chemical and biological compound, there has to be strict compliance. Uh, as much as we do not want uh, federal accountability, anything that has a security aspect, I think there has to be some type of a federal oversight uh, in those laboratories, people, those who have access to uh, those technologies. But you know, that's for biology. If we go into different aspect, then it becomes a little bit more complicated. Yes, so, it, it, it does get more complicated because see, see the, as far as 
when we talk about the biology, I mean, the oversight is applied probably more strictly to the federally funded research uh, rather than, you know, all the research that is happening at all levels. So that is also something that needs to be discussed and debated that whether we should, you know, focus only on federally funded research and bring accountability there or we should create some sort of framework uh, where we have the oversight of all kinds of research that is being done. But let's let's uh, uh, go to the, you know, different uh, areas other than bio you know because uh, when we uh, many technologies and materials uh, that associated with the creation of a nuclear power program that also brings many kinds of complex security challenges and originally developed as uh, these were developed as the weapons during the cold war and the United States and the Soviet Union spent billions of dollars developing uh, many technologies from rocket technologies to, you know, nuclear technologies, which could carry, uh, which could, you know, pro give us the benefits of, let's say, for rockets that, that they would take us to the space and uh, eventually to the moon. But they also can, you know, create uh, uh, the, the it can easily be converted to ballistic missile technology Absolutely. and uh, create you know a lot of problems for humanity so that is also one aspect and then you know the nuclear aspect so uh, the question is how effectively are we managing the dual use of this uh, technologies like rocket technologies and nuclear technologies and whether the strategies that we are using currently whether they are working and they are effective so, uh, as mentioned, that this, as far as biology is concerned, there can be some oversight. But governance, you're absolutely right. I think National Academy of Sciences, they meet periodically talking about the governance structure. And I think there has to be more conversation, more discussion on the governance, on uh, uh, chemical and biological select agents. Uh, they also discuss on the nuclear, uh, although I'm going to discuss nuclear, but my concern is not so much on nuclear. My One of the concerns is on cyber, which is, again, one of the dual-use technology because we use all, all of us use it, but at the same time, it has lots of implications, just to mention a few. Uh, denial of service attack. If a person who would send email, if that person sends 10,000 email and put that in a doodle, it can flood your mailbox and then obviously would deny you access because of the fact that it has blocked uh, you from receiving other emails. That being a very simple example, but that's essentially what denial of service attack is, that you uh, flood the network with junk email and as a result, um, you know, it, it blocks access of the network. At the same time, critical infrastructure. We discussed last time uh, traffic, aviation, grid, uh, supplies, could be water supply, could be other uh, types of supply chain. So using cyber, critical infrastructure, that can be brought to halt, uh, which all of us use for good application. But nonetheless, there are some uh, applications which uh, can be considered as dual use. Financial institution, credit card. Uh, all of us know that there had been ransomware on the credit card companies indicating that either we pay up or we will uh, bring the institution functionality to a halt. Social media, Facebook, as you know, that they have been advertising through the magazine, through the newspaper because of the fact uh, Lots of through social media, not only there is bullying in schools and in social life, but also at the same time, there is a, uh, a, a compromise in one way in several different forms that has taken place. That's the reason Facebook uh, had to advertise all what they are doing at the same time. And that's only been one. There are so many other social media. That's, again, a dual-use application. Uh, hijacking institutional information. Only yesterday, last night, I received email from the funding agencies because I have access to all the funding agency portal <clears throat> for the university indicating that please check because there were reports that the information was 
uh, compromised. I sent email to my president and provost indicating that this is FII. Uh, you know, this is uh, possible, but nonetheless, I do not have any evidence that something is compromised. So people can go into federal portals, uh, something which we use for intellectual property storage, even those are compromised. Uh, stealing research data, Bitcoin. Uh, recently, Bitcoin has been used to uh, blackmail people that uh, send us the money via Bitcoin or else we will expose XYZ, whatever information uh, they have access to. So these are only limited aspects of cyber which all of us use for our daily communication, running our daily lives, but at the same time there are people with untoward intention are using uh, to uh, benefit uh, themselves or create harm. Yes, very true. No, that, that is a cause of great concern. And we are seeing the uh, impact of that each and every single day, you know, to not only individuals, but also in small corporations, large corporations, governments, you know, everybody is impacted because of that. And also the other, you know, big, you know, concern that is coming our way is the autonomous weapons. The use technology of autonomous weapons because it seems that uh, there is a great concern about these uh, machines which can be programmed to identify any target and it could decide to open fire without needing to check with the humans first. So at this point, it is not clear whether these autonomous weapons can be programmed with an understanding of the laws of war, which requires the capacity, you know, for moral judgment, because this is still a very, you know, preliminary stages and uh, not all the uh, variables have been figured out. So this is a cause of great concern that what is this autonomous weapons going to do and what is uh, how it's going to uh, harm the humanity. And uh, when the things go wrong, uh, how would the legal and moral responsibility for these actions uh, uh, sit within the chain of command or, you know, whether the programmers of these autonomous weapons will be uh, held responsible or who will be accountable uh, when the technology reacts badly to a situation it was not prepared for. So there are lots and lots of questions about autonomous weapons and uh, that, that could, you know, also be nano weapons and uh, uh, there are many, many, you know, complex uh, security challenges emerging from that. And that brings me to the next topic, which is the unmanned aerial vehicles. These are autonomous systems. Uh, we are in the process of creating something called a drone academy because of this large number of applications, um, especially in uh, crowded cities where typically a uh, emergency vehicle cannot get from point A to point B. You can send a UAV to get the situational awareness. Uh, so it has lots of application, but nonetheless, since you mentioned that these devices can be programmed to create harm, there was an article just yesterday indicating that UAVs are programmed to attack a person of someone's choosing. So despite having so many good applications, uh, it has lots of unintended uh, application. It's a great invention, but as mentioned, has uh, lots of negative uh, consequences. Uh, it, uh, it's also used for aerial dispersion of chemical and biological agents, uh, more specifically in Middle East. Uh, so that is currently used. So people, those who have access to drones, are using for those types of application. One can use these devices for surveillance, but at the same time, there is uh, lots of uh, discussion on its inappropriate collection of uh, data, especially personal data. Uh, also, delivery of IEDs, improvised explosive devices, drugs, uh, different types of weapons across the border. Uh, lots of drones fly back and forth to deliver those types of uh, uh, drugs and weapons in the prison, for example, uh, they would just drop and take off. So on one hand, UAV uh, in most of the schools and institutions, uh, they have now, uh, they started to teach class where you could take a, uh, a something called ARPIC, remote pilot and control. 
for these UAVs, but at the same time, once I look at the uh, negative uh, aspect of these UAVs, then it sort of gives you an idea that maybe I think there has to be a little bit more checks and balances. FAA is very strict, not letting these UAVs enter into the uh, airport zones. As a matter of fact, all this electrified fence, the most of the drones are programmed that they are not supposed to cross over. As soon as it comes in close proximity, it then sends the drone back. And that's the programming most of the uh, drones are supposed to have, otherwise they will not be manufactured. So that's another uh, aspect uh, of the so-called dual use technology. Uh, yes, absolutely. That is that that is an excellent example because the drones brings us so many complex challenges. So uh, when we evaluate the drones and these autonomous cars and uh, uh, every smart initiative that we are taking from smart cities to smart enterprises to smart homes uh, to, you know, IoT sensors and uh, each one of these, they, they bring us very complex security challenges and the dual, uh, both the dual, they are uh, basically dual use technology. They can be used for good and they can be used uh, to harm the uh, society. So the given the potential for beneficial and harmful uses, the question is, should we consider information technology itself to be a dual use technology? I mean, how should we be uh, evaluating or addressing um, or governing the information technology because all these, you know, uh, different uh, variables that we consider from drones to smart cities to IoT sensors to uh, smart homes, the, everywhere the programming is involved. So should this programming, the information technology, the fundamentals of it, should we consider that as a dual-use technology? In my opinion, it is, as mentioned, cybersecurity or cyber information technology. These are all integral part of it. So uh, definitely there has to be oversight. There has to be uh, a, a governance level uh, which monitors. Uh, and I know every time we say that there is governance or some type of outreach, uh, then there is a pushback because of its act and freedom or personal freedom to learn information. Uh, how do we determine the intention? I think it boils down to that question. Is there a, uh, is there a mechanism by which we can determine uh, intention of a person? And is that a funda fundamental right? Is that the First Amendment? Uh, you know, those types of things. And I think it, this discussion goes in a direction where I'm sure lots of people would not be comfortable, but at the same time, there has to be a delicate balance in personal freedom versus everyone else's freedom. Yes, absolutely. I hear you on that because uh, we, while you know these are very sensitive topics, we do need to address them because the governance of information technology and cyber weapons. I think it is time that we start discussing that because every single day we see all these, you know, either denial of service attacks or you know some sort of security breach, you know, where uh, all the data is stolen or the, you know some misuse of data or credit card theft or all kinds of you know healthcare data is stolen all kinds of uh, security challenges we are witnessing every single day and that is more the reason that we do need to address information technology governance and cyber you know governance that how do we address that how should we uh, govern the cyberspace how should we govern the geospace how should we govern the space because uh, the connected computers and computer code is connecting everything from uh, cyberspace is connected to geospace and space and with now the, um, the space satellites you know nano satellites and the space uh, um, the missions that we are you know going uh, on in the space colonies that we are planning to establish and the uh, the uh, the mining, the asteroid mining, and uh, all those initiatives that uh, we are trying to uh, initiate or we embark on, that we do need to have an effective governance structure because otherwise each of these technologies that we are trying to cre create and use for good use, that can be used as a weapon itself. So yeah. how do we govern this? That is the biggest you know, uh, challenge of the day. I think this has to come through 
uh, education. This has to, again, uh, be inculcated in right from the very beginning uh, because people, those who have been in education system for a long time, we never had to deal with these types of uh, cause and effect in the, from the very beginning. But the new generation, those who are entering into the uh, education, I think this has to be an integral part of the education uh, where the responsibility or responsible use, just like responsible use for any other, if we drive a vehicle, we have to drive responsibly. So I think that has to be a uh, integral component of education system where we uh, say that, look, governance, education, understanding, all of those components are built into the uh, education right from the very beginning. And of course, it has, it has to be... Do you think that education uh, it's alone would be able to manage such a complex challenge? Because I feel that, you know, the unless we provide a proper framework, a proper structure on, on which we can bring accountability, transparency, and trust, and we provide incentives for identifying the security risk. For example, if we, if we create a system based on blockchain where each and every single scientist or each and every programmer who is trying to work on the uh, information technology or cyberspace or you know any ai you know developers or machine learning or you know cognitive computing to you know blockchain to all these different technologies that we are trying to or electromagnetic pulse or everything that we are trying to create or crispr technology or um, uh, machine, any other technology that we are trying to use that each and every initiative should be on the blockchain and e all the data would be on that so we it will be easy for us to identify who is working on what across nations and uh, whether the you know initiative that they're working on what uh, does that have a dual use the technology that, that they're developing does it have a dual use and if it is then you know how are we governing that what kind of governance structure we are providing what kind of accountability we are providing and how do we bring how do we provide incentive for you know doing something better than you know just a basic research because a lot of young people if you see today that they are they just get a thrill about you know trying to hack into some system or to destroy something so if you provide positive incentives to uh, all these young people across nations that you know instead of doing harm or creating or destroying or disrupting any system try to create something positive try to minimize or manage the security that's coming up way for your nation for any you know uh, or, or your initiative then we will be able to probably you know take a one step uh, you know stronger towards bringing the accountability and the good governance that we need for all this dual use technology because i feel that just education and awareness is probably not going to do its job here no, you are absolutely right all if even if let's say one were to make these changes in education and awareness it again has to be through the governance. Yeah. Uh, uh, educational institution, especially uh, at the young age, you know, high school, they will not be able to, or the teachers will not be able to implement those changes unless it comes through administration and the governance. So it has to come from the feds to the state, uh, translated to the education school system, where just like you mentioned that uh, People should learn that uh, there is a responsible and ethical use of uh, technology, maybe information technology, may it be any other uh, technology, and that has to be inculcated right from the very beginning. And yes, you're absolutely right. This has to come from the governance and trickle down to the education and uh, uh, education components. Yes, absolutely. I mean, education is uh, going to be at the center of uh, any sure. initiative that we take, you know, for bringing the accountability to this dual use technology and the governance uh, models. But from your assessment, what types of governance measures uh, that we should be uh, 
uh, implementing for all these, you know, cyber technologies or uh, electronic warfare or cyber warfare or space warfare or uh, bio warfare or nano warfare, any of these warfare that is happening, you know, and that is uh, going very aggressively forward. What kind of governance measures do you think that would uh, serve the purpose in the coming days? As mentioned, National Academy of Sciences, they have some initiative, um, but I've been in the education system long enough to know that there is a huge disconnect. And I think uh, this has to be mobilized from ground on up to uh, make sure that there is a consensus. And unless there is a consensus, uh, this disconnect just by having some meeting at National Academy of Sciences. Now, and I know that meet on the governance. Uh, I have lots of literature on the governance, uh, but we have to bridge that disconnect, which exists uh, between so-called the uh, education societies and the governments. Uh, and, and that has to be awareness. I'm not sure if it's through by way of uh, conferences or by way of uh, organizing uh, some type of a meeting where you discuss, and and there had to be there has to be a collection of people, those who bring these types of threat vectors to for others to recognize, uh, so that people are aware that these things are possible, and then the people, those who are in position of governance, know that. These are the threat vectors, and then you have education leaders. So if we put together all those people collectively and begin to have a dialogue, then I think that would make a difference. I have not seen that kind of a conference where we have all the parties together. I have seen people, those who talk about threats. I've seen people, those who talk about the governance. But as I mentioned, that disconnect is there, and perhaps having a joint meeting uh, would be a great great platform to bring all parties together and talk about it. Absolutely. We do need an integrated approach because if you look at all these uh, different technologies, there it's not mm -hmm. one technology. I mean, from rocket technologies to nuclear mm -hmm. technologies to chemicals mm -hmm. or autonomous weapons, cyber warfare or uh, cyber weapons or nano weapons or... Uh, or take any number, kind of different technologies that they all have uh, very significant differences, uh, you know, in how we can govern that and to what extent uh, we can govern them. And what are the, uh, we have to understand what are the similarities in the uh, governance measures, because, you know, if we are trying to come up with an integrated approach, we do need to come up with what similarities are there on, and where we can, uh, uh, define the different technologies areas where there is interconnection and interdependencies and what factors uh, we should account for the limitations in the different governance measures because that have been uh, that we have done so over the years and uh, uh, we need to learn the lessons from that and we need to come up with that integrated interconnected approach by which we can bring all these technologies under one umbrella which makes it a little bit easier to have an effective governance structure, because if we do a different governance model, different you know governance framework for each and every technology, then it's going to be very complex. Because you know there is a cyber warfare, then there is a electronic warfare, then there is a space warfare, and all different bio warfare and all different kind of weapons are coming our way. So we do need to come up with an integrated approach. That's all right. Uh, I, I think uh, NATO funds lots of activities for me. Uh, although they uh, specialize on select technology, whenever we meet, we talk about chemical and biological agents. Or, uh, uh, as mentioned, NATO does fund these activities for me. Uh, the next one, which I think we discussed during the last conversation, uh, is on critical infrastructure. But I could perhaps initiate dialogue with NATO to see if they would like to uh, bring all parties together 
just like we discussed, an integrated approach where you have uh, people from governance, educators, uh, people, those who know these threat vectors, all of them together. Uh, that would be a large platform, uh, but definitely I think I'll see if I could create that platform together because I believe that this is something which that needs to be addressed going forward. And the more we depend on technology, the more there is accessibility of information. Uh, as we go forward, this has to be addressed uh, and, and the gap does exist. So I know there is a need. I know there is a capability. Uh, we just need to bridge these two together to make sure that uh, there is a path forward. Absolutely. I think that is the way to go forward because unless we bring all these biosecurity, chemical security, electronic security, cyber security, everything under one umbrella and we have that interconnected, interdependent, integrated approach, we won't be able to make a very effective governance framework because if we work in silos, then, you know, there is a, never going to be a very effective approach or effective way of governing all these dual use technologies. We do need to have, you know, break the silos and we need to have a effective integrated approach by which we can go forward because everyone knows that, you know, the, everybody is so determined to come up with, you know, different new technologies and they are so focused on in, innovations and uh, inventions and uh, coming up with new technologies that they are not focusing on security and the education and awareness of not only the scientists and researchers is vital, but also the risk managers and, you know, policymakers and academicians and everyone, they need to be like, you know, we have been talking that the, we have to educate, create that education and awareness for everyone. But I think at the center is that we need to come up, you know, with an integrated approach and integrated way of managing the security risk because otherwise approaching the everything in silos like biosecurity or chemical security or electronic security or cyber security is going to be a very complex challenge. Sure. And also, as we discussed, the technology <laughs> is moving at a pace that uh, people, those who make regulations, cannot keep up with that. Because whenever it comes to regulation, uh, these processes intrinsically move at a totally different rate than the technological innovations. Now we have, because of AI, computers generating more information and all these technologies are moving at such a rapid rate uh, that people, those who are making governance for it, they cannot keep up with that pace. So there is also that huge disconnect, which I think needs to be addressed. Not that one should slow down the technology. Maybe there are more people, those who are working on governance to expedite the process. Yes. Yes, very true. And uh, we do need to create uh, and build this sustainable culture because it's not a one-time thing that we come up, sure. we identify this security risk and we try to come up with the governance structure. It has to be a sustainable culture. This has to, managing this effective way of security risk needs to be embedded into the, how we do things each and every single day. So it has to be sustainable. So I think it would be amazing if we are, if you are able to take the next step and uh, uh, talk to NATO and see if you are able to come bring everyone under one umbrella and uh, uh, take a step forward in uh, bringing the much needed uh, governance structure of this dual use technology. Because like you just said, that this technology development science and Technology development is so rapid and it is uh, uh, increasing at an exponential pace. And unless we come up with effective way of uh, uh, managing uh, the security risk or effective way of governing is then, you know, we are all uh, going to face uh, very complex security challenges that could uh, impact the humanity itself. So, uh, I mean, there are a lot of people who say that, you know, let's just leave it to self-governance, let, you know, uh, individual scientist or individual institution come up with effective way of uh, governing their initiative themselves. But I'm not sure if that is the right way to go forward because self-governance, depending on self-governance for something as critical as the 
the impact of the technology that we are seeing uh, today and will be seeing seeing tomorrow uh, would be probably foolish to you know depend just on self governance uh, we have to have an effective way forward absolutely so anyway just a couple of points i wanted to mention to uh, complete the uh, all those security challenges nuclear as mentioned uh, it's it's very difficult to put together a reactor but most of the threat uh, that comes from a dirty bomb where people would steal nuclear fissile material from laboratories or from medical facilities and use that for dirty bomb types of application however uh, material such as polonium 210 which i'm sure you know uh, uh, alexander litvinenko uh, yasser arafat and if uh, i may also say lal bahadur shastri uh, in uzbekistan uh, i strongly believe that was because of polonium 210 uh, so that's a, a, a the the extent of duty use for nuclear material in my opinion is uh, a by way of dirty bomb or by uh, giving these types of material to people in their food or otherwise uh, to create uh, uh, negative implications in terms of a chemical i know that this topic has been dealt in great detail but most of the threat these days comes from nanomaterials which you had indicated uh, more specifically there is an area called nanoenergetics and these are oxides of uh, nanomaterial uh, and there is a theory about the world trade center that the fire was actually ignited by these nanomaterials because they were sprayed and there are pieces on it and I've read a couple of those pieces that those nanoenergetic materials were sprayed and that actually enhanced the fire causing the whole structure to fall otherwise they were supposed to take a great impact so that threat does exist there are other compounds called auto organometallics uh, which have neurological impact that use for great application Tinoxide, for example, uh, tetramethyltin, that's one uh, material which is used for coating windows so that uh, the heat only travels one way. So our houses are uh, cool inside, also they have a good texture, but they have lots of neurological uh, impact. Uh, so these are in addition to threats which we discussed on cyber and uh, biology uh, or synthetic biology, UAV. I still feel that there is a great challenge because of chemical and nuclear fissile materials as well as dual use materials. Yes, no, absolutely. I mean, that's a, a great, uh, you know, information you provided about all these uh, the emerging technologies and emerging compounds that we need to pay attention to, and uh, there is a very critical need of having a very comprehensive. very detailed uh, analysis identification and analysis of uh, all these emerging uh, ideas innovations and inventions and technologies including the chemical uh, compounds that you just talked about uh, and understanding its dual use uh, that is something you know um, we, I, i'm sure you are focusing on and i am also working on that so that would be it would be really good to have a very thorough approach and understanding sure. about all these uh, technologies that uh, we need to address and bring under a very effective governance structure because uh, these are having a uh, these are expected to have a very complex very uh, very significant not only economic impact but also impact on the survival and security of humanity so uh, thank you so much professor vashishta for participating in risk roundup today and uh, we appreciate your thoughtful insight on the potential security risk facing humanity in cyberspace geospace and space due to dual use technology i mean this is just the first beginning of the discussion and uh, there is a lot more that we still need to discuss but our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from the information you provided on the very complex security challenges facing each nation's technology
technology transformation and the infrastructure it controls across cyberspace, geospace and space. And even if a single individual across nations can come up with an idea to prevent the potential existential risk facing humanity based on the understanding they received from the discussion we had today, this risk round of dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. Got Thank you. Wonderful. So existing and emerging technologies impact our individual and collective security. While many steps have been taken to control access to and promote the safe and secure handling of many technologies, uh, its materials or equipments or knowledge and information, much more can still be done and needs to be done by individuals and entities across NGIOA to help prevent the further misuse of nuclear, biological, chemical, electronic, digital, autonomous and nanotechnology from causing large-scale human economic or commercial harm. Risk groups, cybersecurity, geosecurity and space security risk research centers are created for this very reason to identify evaluate and manage the risk-facing NGIOA and CGS and we at Risk Group believe that risk management, security and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. It is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security, so if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risk together. For more information on the risk roundups, to other risk roundup videos or to hear the risk roundup audio podcast, please go to riskgroupilc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayashree. Post of Risk Arnab, sending you. See you next time. Thank you.